Okay, everyone, listen, this is the latest uh, Bolt from the Blue podcast, and uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about the game against Dortmund. We'll preview that by talking about what happened against Leeds and look forward into the future. I've got two great guests, possibly even a third, if uh, Mr. Sauvage uh, turns up. But we've got uh, Ray. Ray, how are you? How are you doing? And how are things going with you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right, Mike. Obviously, we won the other night, so... Um... It's a positive finish to the week and just looking forward to uh, the FA Cup at the weekend. Fantastic. We also have Stefan Borson here. It's been uh, just over a year since we last had Stefan on. Stefan, how are you? How's things in the legal world? Yeah, all good. All good. Mm-hmm. Stefan, is the curse broken? I don't know. I don't think it was a curse. <laughs> the curse of us not getting past no, the... I, no, I'm not joking. I don't think there was a curse. I think I, this is normal. You know, if you, you go and have a look at... Uh, United for the first 10 years of the Champions League. They they also found it difficult to crack quarterfinals and 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 win the win the trophy. It it's a it, it's an incredibly uh, competitive uh, competition and most of the games when you get to this stage are coin flips and uh you know they've been decided on very very fine margins in the past and uh, it could have been decided on a very fine margin this time, and it may be in the semi, and it may be in the final, and everybody just needs to accept that that's that's the level. I'm afraid. Uh, Ray, let me just throw that one over to you because um, I'm just looking across all the city pods, and that seems to be the title: "Curse is broken." Reacting, yeah. reacting to setbacks, going a goal down. Do you agree with um, with uh, Stefan that this is this is just basically a big myth? Yeah. Look, I mean, we we've been unlucky. Um, you know, don't take anything away from teams that have beaten us, but we've been unlucky um, in the last Liverpool, Spurs, um, Lyon. I think refereeing decisions have gone against us. We've been lucky this time. Refereeing decisions went for us. Uh, as Stefan says, it's a coin toss. Um, sometimes it goes for you, sometimes it doesn't. And look, Liverpool won the um, Champions League a couple of years back and they lost four games out of 13. So, you know, it, it takes a... Sometimes a huge slice of luck. Um, you know, we could end up losing no games and getting knocked out. It's just, you know, it's just the way it, it, the cookie crumbles. Okay, next uh, little point, uh, Stefan. What do you think about this one? A lot of people seem to be talking about uh, the fact that uh, uh, Pep rested a whole bunch of players against Leeds. We got beat, and um, people are hailing this as um, a masterstroke. What do you think? Uh, what what was a masterstroke? Well, aren't people saying the opposite? I mean, you know, as far as I can see, a number of people think we should have played KDB into the ground against Leeds United in a in a near dead rubber. I mean, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, you've got a choice. At this stage of the season, we've got everyone's seen what the schedule's like. We all know that if we win four maximum and probably win three, and maybe even win two of these remaining games then we'll win the league. So as much as we don't like getting beat by anybody, and certainly not by Leeds, uh, it was it was absolutely the right thing to do in my mind. And, uh, you know, I think vindicated, not actually not on Wednesday. For me, it was vindicated on Tuesday when you saw the intensity of the semi-final, uh, of the quarter-final that, that we watched with Bayern and PSG. These are unbelievably intense uh, games. And, you know, you need that final 5%. Maybe... Part of the reason we played so well in the second half, or were so dominant in the second half, maybe it was because we we had rested players and and, and Dortmund didn't. So I was all in favour of it at, 
you know, I was disappointed to lose the game against Leeds, but I think it's the right decision. Yeah, I'll just throw that over to Ray. Ray, I'm pretty sure that you didn't give a fiddlers that we lost that game against Leeds. I absolutely give a fiddlers, mate. Uh, the minimum we shouldn't have done was lose when they're down to 10 men. Um, you know, the, 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 you can look at the lineup and look at the tactics and um, substitutions and mistakes. You know, for me, leaving Fernandinho as a 35, almost 36 year old as, as your last man is asking for trouble. And to be honest, if you're, if you're in the last few minutes of the game, and you're going to go a bit gung-ho and um, you know, throw a, f- a few Hail Marys and leave uh, spaces at the back. Why don't you just bring Walker on for five minutes uh, and say, you, you know, you mop up anything that, that comes. I, I personally thought the Leeds game, I, I thought there was too much rotation. There was too, much, um, too many players who either hadn't played enough um, because they couldn't get in the team or had been injured, like Aki, like Torres, uh, Mendy. Uh, players playing slightly out of position or out of position that they play for City, like Zinchenko. Um, some odd decisions, like when, when Zinchenko goes to left back, why are you leaving Mendy up as your left winger? You know, he's offering, honestly, very little uh, up there. You might as well bring somebody on who could offer something. Uh, I thought that was a, a mistake or, you know, swap things around a little bit, but leaving Mendy on was, was odd. Um, and I, I think the other thing you, you noticed, there's a bunch of players who, if they're surrounded by much, much better players, our best players actually um, scrub up well. You know, Jesus is, is all right when you've got KDB and Foden and Gundogan around him. Uh, you know, that's how we got through two seasons with uh, Zinchenko and Delph as the left back because we had 70-odd percent possession. Teams rarely threatened and we were always uh, generally on the front foot. So you can get a, a, away with uh, players who are not... Um, I won't, I'm low to say good enough, but I'm tempted to say not the level that you'd want uh, at City that might be just a bit below that top level. Um, and I just think you throw them at all those ingredients together and you you come up with a poor performance. But end of the day, we should have walked away with at least a draw. There's no way we should have lost that game. So I was frustrated. Well, let me just uh, <clears throat> throw that back to uh, Stefan. Stefan, um, I have read on Twitter... Um, a contention that that was an exercise in self-esteem grooming by uh, by Pep just to keep everyone sweet. What do you reckon? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I think he, uh, he's he got a squad. The squad has delivered for most of the season. You can't argue the number of changes was probably excessive uh, and, it, and it reduced the chances of us winning the game. But it, it was by no means obvious we were going to lose the game. Otherwise, everybody would have stuck a load of money on Leeds and would have won a fortune. You know, we should have won the game, even with that team. And ultimately, when you look at the players who who were who were most who most underperformed, it was players that are actually not fringe players or were playing in their natural positions and just didn't deliver. Bernardo was very poor. Sterling was very poor. Jesus was very poor. Uh, Stones. Uh, was was I thought very good, but then let us down at the end. Fernandinho was very tired. You know these aren't fringe players. M- Mendy's performance was not great, but it didn't really make that much difference overall. We should have won the game. We certainly shouldn't have lost it. And if we'd have drawn the game one all, nobody would have blinked, and and it would have been absolutely fine. And we it was in many ways it was it was one of those uh, freak uh, freak results. I don't think it was at the standard. Uh, even of some of the games earlier in the season, in terms of our performance, I thought we were we were we were okay. We weren't brilliant, of course, but we were okay. And I, I don't think Pep was just 
kind of uh I, I i don't think he cares about the ego of players frankly in terms of keeping them sweet certainly not in a game like that um so no i, I don't think that's what it was about i think he genuinely fears a burnout when we've got an intensity that we have over the next few weeks and i think he's right, right to Okay, guys, well, um, we learned um, after the game. Uh, let's move on to the Dortmund game. We did learn afterwards that, um, uh, once again, Ray Liverpool smashed up their bus. And um, uh, I was looking at their um, at uh, their mouthpiece, the Anfield rap, and <clears throat> once again, they talked about a few individuals, and that also came out in the press release. Obviously, they did the same to us in 2019 to the city coach. And you seem to have these two chaps on the Anfield rap. One is a, a, a relatively nice chap called Neil Atkinson, who was very philosophical about it. Then you've got the nasty one, that's Gareth Roberts. You know, the, And he basically accused us of pearl clutching and we don't have a sense of humour. <laughs> Ray, what's your take on that? It was 2018, I think, the bus smashing. At, Sorry, 2018, I beg your pardon. Um, uh, look, I mean, they've got form and it's not just... It might be what one individual might have thrown the brick or the bottle that smashed the window, but I'd be surprised if there were a few raining down. You know, you can see the uh, you know the the anger, the, the you know from from the, the the way people's faces are screwed. You know, it, it's not supporting your team; it's basically trying to get in the faces of the opposition. And I, as I said off air, when it happened to City three years ago. I said some of the young players and even the older players, you've got to be affected by that. You know, um, if you've never experienced something like that before, uh, you know, you had your window smashed, uh, I think a flare um, was was coming through one of the, through the sunroof or something, or, you know, it's got to, it's got to affect you. And, and in the first 30 minutes of that game, we were blown apart by Liverpool. So, you know, we were way off it and no one can say, how much it affected them. No one can say if it affected them at all, but my suspicion it, it did. Liverpool can't... Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, um, the, the police force in, uh, in, in on Merseyside can't keep allowing this to happen because they allowed it to happen in the city. They've allowed it to happen here, again. Uh, and I, I suspect no one's going to get caught for it, again. Uh, you know, in, and and I think that's that's just as bad as as the guys doing it. It's the fact that no one ever gets caught, no one ever gets punished. Um, you know, we saw in Liverpool's title celebrations when that uh, young Scally fired the firework at the Liver Building. Um, you know, all those people cause, causing havoc, and and that happens. So I don't think anything's going to happen about it. I, will you ever do anything? They might because it was Real Madrid. You know, they didn't bother when it was us. I think it'll just carry on. You know, who's going to stop it? Well, Stephen, yes, this is a little bit off topic, of course, because this is concerning the Real Madrid uh, Liverpool game that finished zero zero. So uh, Madrid go through. But uh, do you have any thoughts upon this, or do you think it has any effect on um, on uh, opposing teams when they like bottle your bus? Uh, yeah, I mean, it probably is pretty intimidating if you're in the bus, but it's life. I'm afraid. I mean, uh, you know, they do it because I'm sure it it, it probably has has an impact and works uh should should it be stopped well yeah but uh, i don't think it's going to be and we've seen much worse around europe over the years um it's just one of those things i wouldn't to be honest i'm not going to lose any sleep over it and i expect next time we play liverpool assuming that we're in a post-covid world um that you'll see it again and uh it is what it is i'm afraid a city fans too nice 
I see it's far, uh, too civilized to do something like that. No, don't think <laughs> they are. I mean, I you know, I think if 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 the if the route into the ground followed a similar route to Liverpool, where where you had uh, banks of fans on on relatively narrow streets. Um, I think City fans probably would would bottle their bus as well. Certainly now, but you know, I just it's just one of those things. We've got to, you know, players have got to be big enough to get over it uh, and and uh, and deal with it. I'm afraid um, it's not going to stop, and there's no way, I'd, in in my view, there's no way that they can stop them doing it. All right, lads. Well, um, that was basically a, a a side issue to the the main action in that City against uh, Dortmund or. Dortmund against City, of course, because it was an away game. Now, um, uh, Stefan, let's stick with you for a second. Um, just before the Mara's nerves of steel moment um, that I've been reading about and uh, and which I witnessed, of course. Um, how did you feel that City came out in the first uh, 15, 20 minutes? Uh, well, I mean, obviously they were they they were a bit edgy. I think uh, you know there was a few too many misplaced passes. Um, Particularly down, down in um, around Zinchenko, um, and uh, you know I think we were rattled in in that early stage, and and obviously after the goal, um, we didn't, you know I, I don't I don't think we had our our usual sense of control for quite quite a while, probably probably five minutes after the goal, so that that takes you what to about twenty twenty five minutes and I think then gradually we you know we we sort of got got a grip on the game uh but uh, look I think these games are difficult there there's a lot at stake everybody knows everybody knows what's at stake we I, I think the biggest disappointment for me was that the game was even close by the time we get to the second leg we, we got we got an easy relatively easy draw we got uh, a couple of breaks in the in the first game, and really the game should have been finished in the first in the first leg. Uh, we didn't play well enough, but of course, but it should have been finished such that we didn't have that edginess. But I think once you do have that tight lead and you do have you know Dortmund at home, I think it's inevitable that you're going to have you know a few hairy moments in those early stages. Absolutely. Um, uh, Ray, were you surprised that um, Zinchenko came in for Cancelo? Um, it was kind of 50-50. I, think, I don't think Cancelo's done himself any favours in the last two or three games. He's he's not he's not looked. Uh, there was who was it now? Priceless silver. That was the one who said uh, back in on in December, uh, towards the end of December, that we had to re- put some respect on Cancelo's name because he was the best, not just right back. He was the best fo- full back in Europe. Uh, I, 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 I I would contest that. Um, he's not he's not played well enough in the last few games. He's not contributed enough um, in an attacking sense and a d- defensive um, sense as well. You know, the, the Leeds goal, um, if I remember correctly, the first one he he was at fault twice for that. So um, he, he was very weak in the tackle um, and in the wrong place as well. So he, maybe he you know he's he's lost his chance to play in that team. And Cal Walker stormed back at right back um, uh, and Zinchenko. Look, He's not done. He hadn't done too much wrong in the league, but as I said, when you've got a lot of good players around you, you look all right. Uh, when when you've got a, a decent opposition, I think Dortmund weren't rubbish. They had some, you know, some good tactics, good setup. But he, um, so, so I don't mind him him playing. As I said, I thought it was fifty fifty. And as Stefan said, he made far too many mistakes. Very poor. 
Uh, there was an early one after about six minutes where it was a poor pass from him. It ended up with Daoud, who um, could have done better with a shot. It was straight at Zinchenko. And the first 15 minutes, you know, we were not our usual self. We didn't have that swagger. Uh, obviously, then the, uh, the Bellingham goal. Um, and as Stefan said, we were we were poor for a bit because a couple of minutes later, the Dortmund from the goalkeeper, they sliced all the way through City. They played through us. Uh, I think they ended up with the corner. Uh, and uh, free header from a corner, and we got we got lucky. So, you know, the first I'd say half an hour, uh, it was it was kind of a typical City Champions League performance in the latter stages. We do look a bit wobbly. Someone scores against us, we look wobbly, even more wobbly for a few more minutes. Um, but then, you know, it's, it's we slowly got back into the game. Okay, well, um, just uh, before we um, throw this over to Stefan, let's go through very quickly the lineups. Of course, Manchester City, Ederson, Walker, Stones, Diaz, Sinchenko, Rodri, Gundogan, De Bruyne, Maris, Foden, Bernardo. For Dortmund, they had hits Moria Kanji, Hummels, Guerrero, Emre Can, Dahoud, Mahmoud Dahoud, that is, and uh, Jude Bellingham, Royce, Knauf, and Holland. Um, what about this then, uh, Stefan? W- w- did that surprise you, that um, little um, tinkering with... Uh, Sinchenko and Cancelo, were you pretty happy enough with that lineup? Well, I thought it was inevitable because Cancelo's form has 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 fallen, and he, you know, the previous two games he was poor. So, you know, I, I thought it was coming out of the Leeds game. It was the big, the biggest dilemma that that Guardiola had because without a an established first clear first choice left back. Um, it was always going to be, you know, one of the compromise options. I couldn't see it being Mendy, but you know, he's he's also he's one of three imperfect options. In the end, you know, I think he he picked the right guy. I think Zinchenko got his game together after the early sort of nervousness, and I thought he had a good game. And uh, I think probably uh, he's made he's made the left back position now for PSG his position. I think it would be unlikely that Cancelo can win it back. And I think in terms of on the right-hand side, uh, Cancelo won't play because of uh, we need Walker's pace. So I think, I think it's, you know, if, if there's one positive from it, it's that the position I think is now settled in, in the Champions League that, that uh, Zinchenko will play. Um, and, but I think Cancelo will get plenty of games between now and the end of the season in the other in the other trophies, uh, probably at right back. Um, so, but I thought it was you know ultimately I thought of 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 a set of difficult options. I thought Zinchenko was probably the best bet. Um, and aside from that, I mean there wasn't many shocks. I, you know I would have played Sterling uh, over Mares. Um, oh. But I'm not surprised that he didn't. Well, um, Ray, let's uh, just go over to you because um, Stefan obviously thinks that that position then is uh, nailed down for the second leg. But um, one position that there seems to be um, some dispute about uh, in the dark web, of course, because you can't say this, the, these things on mainstream media, is about John Stones. Now, John Stones got an awful lot of cheerleading. He's been getting a whole lot of cheerleading, cheerleading from the beginning of the season. But as someone pointed out, I think it was on the Totally Football show with James Richardson, because one of his acolytes uh, mentioned that he was at fault the, uh, for a, a goal uh, that England conceded again against Leeds and uh, possibly uh, in this game as well. What ha, What's your take on that? Well, I'll be honest, I didn't see the England game. Uh, 
I saw still photo. I wasn't interested uh, in what people were saying, um, whether he made a mistake or not. I'm not really bothered about England. Uh, people's, people also said if Ed, Edison was there, he'd give the ball back to Edison. Um, so there you have it. Whether he's a mistake or not, I don't know. Leeds, yeah, he could have um, he could have done better. But Dortmund, I have no problem. I have no problem with what Stones did. Um, because if, if you're saying Stones made a mistake for the goal, then then you're saying ha- Haaland's not that good. Ha- Haaland's got a fair bit of pace about him. The ball comes over the top. Whether it swirls or not, it, it, you know, Haaland gets there first. There's no question about that. Some people say Stones should have got there first. He was close or whatever. But from the moment Haaland gets the ball, Stones stands him up and Haaland has to pass the ball. So I think Stones has done his job. Stones has done his job. Haaland has to pass the ball. We should have enough men to cover their two men that were nearby. And we didn't um, for whatever reason. We had four or five men there. They had two. They ended up with the ball at Bellingham's feet. He scored a nice, nicely taken goal. But I don't know how people are blaming Stones um, for what he's done. And I've, I've been a, a big fan of John Stones last season. I said he just needed to get some game time. He, he needed to get some uh, problems that were in his head. He needed to you know, uh, resolve some personal issues, uh, get some game time, get a run of games, get some form back, get his fitness back, stay fit. And we'd see the, the Stones that we wanted to see. And I think this season we have. I think we've definitely seen that. You know, I think uncharitable uh, commentators have said it's because of Ruben Diaz. Stones need someone top class next to him uh, to hold his hand. And I, I think that's absolute poppycock. Uh, Stones has got better because of what he's done. And he sorted himself out. You know, he, I'm sure Stones has played alongside Vincent Company a few years ago and made mistakes. Whoever he's played alongside, he has made mistakes. And for most of this season, he's been clean. He's hardly made a mistake. I've been you know, watching him quite carefully. Last few games, errors have crept in a little bit. But we've not looked as good in the last few games as we were, you know, did a month ago. So for me, there's no question. Uh, I don't have a problem. I don't have an issue. I don't know why other people do. You know, someone makes a mistake. They want to pick on him. He's probably played 35 games this season. How many mistakes? Big glaring errors has he made? Uh, you can probably count them on one hand. I don't, I don't think. Look, the England mistakes are a bad mistake. Right? I, I, don't, I don't watch England, but it's a bad mistake. And uh, what what it, what is a concern is that England mistakes, not just for John Stones, but also for a number of players over the years, have infected their club form quite badly post post an England situation. And um, we don't know yet because we haven't got the data. Uh, you, you know, the sample size is very small, but we don't know yet whether that is the reason why he's maybe, you know, a very small percentage off off his very best. I, I think the Leeds, the Leeds goal, I mean, I, I think it's very harsh to, to blame him for it. The only question is, should he bring the guy down? I think, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what else he can do. He's physically not quite fast enough and the pass is an absolutely fantastic pass i mean i you know i don't think enough has been made of how good the pass was it was an outside of the boot pass into into the space and it and it moved away from stones and into the into the path of dallas so i think um i think it's very harsh to blame him for leads uh and then the one at Dortmund, it's just not his fault. I mean, you know, the ball's in the air. He doesn't do brilliantly with it, but it's, it's, I think it's barely a mistake. So 
it sounds like a lot of fuss about nothing. Having said that, he won't play tomorrow, I don't think. Um, um, nonetheless, uh, Stefan, uh, does it give your heart palpitations to think of um, Kylian Mbappe running at John Stones? Not really. I mean, what do you want to do? I mean, you know, uh, it, it, you know, John Stones has dealt with very good players before, right? I mean, very fast players, very good players. Mbappe, if, if I had a choice of any striker in the world, I would buy Mbappe. Right. So is he going to have a problem against the very best striker in the world? Well, probably because everybody does. So what do you want to do about it? Um, does, uh, doesn't scare me. I mean, it's just it's a it, it is what it is. I mean, Mbappe is the best. So what are you going to do? Uh, OK, um, uh, Ray, um, obviously um, we conceded the goal. Great goal from Jude Belling. By the way, did you know that he's 17 years old? Um, Mike, I hadn't realised that. You know, some some of these commentators need to tell us. Can I just add one one quick point? Yeah. When yep. someone makes a mistake, the outcome of that mistake is kind of how the, a lot of social media, at least, judge that person. So, um, for instance, Zinchenko. I, I said in the first ten or twelve minutes, he made three bad uh, mistakes. In the rest of the game, he made a couple more, but he got away with them. You know, there was no if. If uh, those three mistakes, they'd scored two goals uh, and, and Zinchenko played well for the rest of the game, he'd have been pummeled on social media um, and, and by commentators as well because of those two mistakes resulted in goals. So it's the end product. If, if Stones, if, if the Haaland won, okay, um, if Bellingham had hit the post and or, or, uh, um, Edison had pushed it over the bar, I doubt anybody or very few people would, would have been lambasting and leaning to Stones. So it, it depends on the outcome as well uh, as everything else. Mm-hmm. If you've got, as I said, I said, I said off there, if you've got a load of people in your timeline that are saying that um, uh, criticizing John Stones for his performance uh, at Dortmund, you're following the wrong people. I mean, you know, you'd have to be slightly deranged to 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 make it very clearly John Stones' fault that Dortmund scored a goal against us. Mm-hmm. Well, just sticking with you, um, Stefan, um, obviously we had uh, the penalty um, and um, a lot of people were saying, particularly on those mainstream shows like Totally Football Show, like um, that other one um, with, um, you know, Barney Roney coming on occasionally. What's the one with him? The Guardian, Football Weekly. Yeah, the Irishman. Um, (laughs) um, Were you surprised, uh, Stefan, that it was Mares that uh, stepped up to take the penalty? Yeah, yeah, I was, but uh, it's very odd. I mean, look, KDB didn't score the last one, so I guess I guess there's some kind of logic to it. Uh, but yeah, I was very surprised. I mean, I, I, I can't I can't really believe that that he is the number one penalty taker in that side. But yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he definitely strikes the ball well, but he just wouldn't for me be be the number one penalty taker. But he scored it, you know, I mean, we can debate it all day long. I don't, I, I can't believe that any any fans really, except maybe a contingent in Algeria, uh, felt that that was the <laughs> obvious choice. Uh, but he scored. I mean, you know, we can't, we can't complain. He scored a very good penalty. And so I guess he is now the premier penalty taker. And let's throw that over to Ray. Ray, obviously, uh, of course, Mahrez missed a potentially title-winning penalty against Liverpool. Did that surprise you as well? He stepped up for this one. Um, well, afterwards, he was he was talking as if um, you know it was uh, been pre-decided. I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I, I always like to have one 
penalty taker and have a ranking of penalty takers and um, you know why switch it if someone's doing really well maybe the other guys didn't feel confident we, we don't know I mean you're hardly going to get KDB coming out after the game and say well you know I was bottling it I didn't really want to take it and and uh, I passed the duties to Mares. Uh, you know, Mares wanted to take it. Um, the thing is, I, I, I like the way he did take the penalty. Actually, it's not a big run up. He wasn't looking at the keeper. He knew where he wanted to hit it, and he hit it nice and hard where he wanted to hit it, and that's it. Without ever looking at the keeper, so you can't get swayed by what the keeper does. So, I was surprised that he took it. I, I'd have thought the um, the hierarchy would have been uh, Gundogan. Sorry. Um, KDB, then Gundogan, then Maris. But look, at end of the day, the ball ended up in the back of the net, and that's all we want. Uh, Stefan, was it actually a penalty? There has been some de- debate about like a, a head to arm and all the rest of it. What do you think? Um, I don't know. I thought they were going to overturn it. I definitely thought they'd overturn it because, I mean, I think it does hit his head. I, I, I'm not sure that there's any angle that shows definitively that it touched his head. Uh, saying that he put his arm in an unnaturally wide well, spread. His, his arm is definitely in an unnaturally an unnatural position, right? So that's that's clear. I don't know what he's doing, by the way. I mean, completely bizarre decision to uh, to, to to go with that body shape anyway. Um, I, look, it depends what the rule is when it hits when he hits his head. If it, if it doesn't divert the ball and it, it definitely hits his hand, so I guess it's a penalty. Um, you know, but one that. You know, you could have understood if it hadn't have been given or it had been overturned. Mm-hmm. Well, what's your take on that, Ray? I think it was more of a penalty than the one in the first leg. Um, <laughs> That's I, not so much, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, for me, it was a penalty all day long. You know, uh, the the rule book might say if it touches his, uh, his uh, another part of his body uh, and then touches his arm, it shouldn't count. Uh, shouldn't be a penalty. But look, it, it's for me, it's making uh, it's having a big impact on. Um, the chance of scoring is having a big impact in the penalty area. You know, I'm not advocating players play without arms, but he stuck his arm out, he hit his head, hit his arm. For me, it was a penalty. It was a really uh, critical goal, uh, Stefan, because obviously that eliminated the um, the away advantage as well as putting us one up. But um, some of the chaps on the uh, Guardian uh, said that if that goal had not occurred then um, it was unlikely that City were going to score from open play. That, that's quite a statement. What do you think? Do we, do we need to discuss that yeah. statement? I mean, it's, you know, come on. I mean, it's a nonsense, a nonsense thing to say. Uh, there was, uh, I don't know when the goal was, it 65 minutes maybe? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of time left. We needed one goal. The idea that this, you know, we know Dortmund cannot defend. So... They, they've not got a lot of clean sheets this season. Um, I don't know whether we'd have scored or not, but statistically, it, it's highly likely that we would have scored um, at least one. Um, I'm not saying that Dortmund may not have got a second, but um, I, look, who knows? It's a com- it's complete speculation. We scored, and after we scored, the game is finished. Exactly. And also, um, so Ray, let's... Um... Yeah. Move on a little bit to to that sweet strike by Phil Foden. Now we've I've, I've just gone back a little bit in them and history. He's got a habit of this, and he's got a very very um, uh, a very good record with a very short backlift to bang them in from distance. He's got a bit of a peg on him, doesn't he? Absolutely. I mean, actually, I thought Dortmund were, were asleep. He's done this before from a corner. Uh, I think earlier this season, uh, and, and to not have somebody near him. 
that I thought was criminal. It was poor defending. Uh, whether the keeper was unsighted, whether he uh, should have got uh, his hands to it, whether he should have saved it, I, I think it's a moot point at the end of the day. It was a, it was a well-struck shot, as you say, uh, from mm-hmm. about 22 yards. Um, and uh, he's one of our own. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, but it's nice, it's nice for him to score. You know, it's, 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 for, for a lot of City fans, it gives us a, a slightly warmer feeling than anybody else scoring because he's a local lad. But uh, he's now, you know, he's, he's showing to the wider public what we knew all along that, you know, we've known for years that he's, he's top class. Uh, Stefan, is, is it unfair to criticise the, the goalkeeper for that firecracker there at the near post? Yes. <laughs> not, okay. I'm, not, I'm not sure there's anything else to say. I mean, the, the strike is a fantastic strike. The, I, don't, I, I don't believe. Who, what goalkeeper is going to save that? It's a great save if he saves it. It's brilliantly mm-hmm. struck. He, he, uh, Phil's technique is, is phenomenal. Um, and, he, and he puts it off, off the bottom of the post. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a great goal in a big, big moment in the game. Ray, did you enjoy that celebration? Oh, it's fantastic. You know, celebrating as a team, running to Pep, you know, it's like it's running to daddy. Um, probably, um, yeah, probably Pep's too young to be his granddad, uh, but he's running all, all the way over there. And But it, you, know, you knew what it meant to everybody. We knew we were through. We were probably through it with that you know, one all. It looked like we were going to go through. The, Dortmund were tiring and they were struggling, in my opinion, to put, you know, too much of a, a threat together. Um, that's that goal finished the game off, and uh, you're going to celebrate because you know you're in the semi-finals. Uh, Stefan, um, quick thought on this: How do you feel about um, players um, authorizing companies to tweet on their behalf? Well, look, I, I don't really, I don't really understand it as a, as a concept, uh, particularly given that 99% of footballer tweets are. <laughs> uh, I mean, what are they? They're a complete waste of time. They're, they're <laughs> either this post-defeat, uh, we go again crap, or <laughs> uh, or some kind of, you know, sort of weak... Game on! It's just, just, it's just nonsense. I, I, and, and so, but I don't know, I'm not the necessarily the target audience, I guess, uh, but I don't <laughs> really, I don't really see, I don't really see what, what they're trying to achieve using Twitter, Uh I, I, to me, it's very easy. If you're going to do Twitter as a footballer, uh, you concentrate on doing charity stuff. Uh, you copy um, Rashford as closely as you can, um, yeah. and actually, actually send the Mbappe type uh, tweet yourself, and then don't apologise about it. So, if you if you want to send an if you want to send a tweet that says to to one of the other uh, best players in the world at the moment saying game on. So what? I mean, but but I think it's made worse by it being from some sort of agency. It's just, it's just, it's just you know, like, it's a waste of money. Absolute waste of money. I'll do it yeah. for free. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I love it. I, I love it when you see some of the Spanish players or the South Americans put out this, uh, put out a tweet in wonderful English, beautiful English, words that sometimes uh, that you or I would be pleased to use, Mike. And you think, <laughs> where, have they, where, where have they got this from? All right, words that I would be pleased to use. Well, yeah, as, as a uh, language applied linguistics professor, I'm very, very interested in how perfect that English is when it comes out. Um, but um, 
Uh, Stefan, uh, just back to you again. And uh, I did get an interesting listener question saying, will Sterling ever get in this team again um, because of the form of uh, Foden? And um, it's hard for me to kind of um, think about, um, he's not going to displace Foden, is he? Um, well, he's not going to displace Foden, but he'll play tomorrow. I mean, I think. Um, so it's not about displacing Foden. We don't, we, we have a squad of players and uh, the players are going to have to move around. You know, so uh, Pep, we know Pep will try these players in different positions. And and so, yes, Sterling will, will come back. I hope he comes back. Uh, and uh, and he just needs to regain his confidence. Um, and, and when he does, he'll be uh, he'll be back back as, as one of the you know top four or five on the, on the list. So he won't be playing in the second leg then, Steph. He won't be playing. Look at the moment, he's not going to be starting against PSG, right? We know that. I mean, at the moment, some somewhere down the line, uh, Mores and Foden, um, and I, I can understand the Foden piece of this more than I can understand the Mores piece. But somewhere down the line, in the last you know, probably only three or four weeks, somewhere along that line, uh, those positions got settled in terms of being the first pick for the very biggest games. And Sterling now has to fight his way back. Um, Mm. And that's just life. Um, You know, look, who knows? We might not have a fully fit squad for the game. Um, You know, he's got plenty of ability uh sterling and he can score he can score a lot of goals between now and then and he can force his way back in but at the moment obviously if the game's played tomorrow sterling does not start mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um ray um obviously um sterling apparently according to all sources is um following uh, kdb's lead in negotiating his own contract um how do you think that'll go well personally they should should be offering him less money um for what he's achieved and what he's delivered over the last two seasons, um, you know, I, I, I'm not always a, I'm not always a stats man, but I've, I've given these stats many, many times. In the Centurion season, he gets 29 goals and assists. I think it was something like 17 or goals and 12 assists. But he got 29 goals and assists in the Premier League season. Following season, it was down to 27. Still acceptable. We scored fewer goals in the formidable season. That's fine. Following season. Uh, I think we still scored over 100 goals. He gets 21, 20 goals and one assist. And it was, you know, and the fact that he he brought the 20 Premier League goal barrier kind of uh, masked, um, you know, that one solitary Premier League assist, which for me kind of indicates how much you're contributing to the team. Um, well, you're a tough guy, Ray. <laughs> sorry? You're a tough guy. <laughs> Hard to please. Why not? You're getting one assist in in thirty odd league games. That's that's not good enough for for a, a wide man. It's not good enough. And this season he's on a fifteen um, goals and assists in off the top of my head. I think it's twenty seven games. I think it's twenty seven for him. Um, shouldn't I, should, I can't criticise this because he's got more than I think probably similar to KDB. I think he's one fewer than KDB. Um, probably one more than Maris. So, <laughs> but I don't think he's given enough. I mean, I want. That's the, the sterling numbers that is uh, putting in in that centurion season. I want him to be getting 30 Premier League goals and assists a season. If you're going to be, you know, talked about as one of the best players in the world, which he was at the start of last season, 
then you've got to contribute a lot more. KDB, for instance, last season, in a season where we didn't, uh, was it last? Yeah, we didn't win the league. We were, you know, we fell well short. He still got 20 assists and 13 goals. Now, that, for me, those are good numbers. And that's the number, that, those are the sort of numbers that I expect Sterling to be doing in the Premier League. Um, and can he get his place back? Look, you'd like to think so, but I think I, I've said it many, many times over the last few years. Far too often I've seen with Sterling, he just pushes the ball, he taps and runs, he pushes the ball past the defender and, and chases it and hopes to beat someone on his uh, pace alone. And sometimes you've got fast defenders or you've got uh, clued up defenders who, who can cope with you. They're either fast enough to cope or they, they're clever enough to cope. He needs a little bit of trickery. And when you see what Foden does, the way he shimmies, the way he drops his shoulder, the way, you know, he, he has some tricks. And Sterling, I felt he used to have tricks. He doesn't have any more. His confidence is, is, is not the same. Was, you know, a, a guy, I watched a, a goal from a, a couple of seasons back um, and he, the ball was played through to him on the right and he just came up there and, and he struck it straight past the keeper. And the keeper could ha- hardly have time to move because he, he hit it so cleanly uh, from not far out. And now you're seeing Sterling with a chance for a, a shot from about eight yards. We've seen it in the last few games. And he's turning back on himself instead of placing that ball in the net. So, you know, you worry about his confidence. Um, he's going to have to step up. If he wants to play in this, start in this team in the big games, he's going to have to push someone like Riyad Mahrez out. Now, you know, you look at the la- Riyad Mahrez's last 10 games, he's contributed nine goals and assists in the last 10 games. It's going to be hard to displace him for the big games. It's impossible to displace Foden for the big games. Um, so where does that leave Sterling? Yeah, I, I think that yeah, is that people have noticed this. I mean, what one thing that that um, uh, Phil, Philip Foden has is that wonderful slaloming ability um, through uh, defences. But um, let's move on, guys, because that was two one. That was four two on aggregate, and uh, obviously we've got this uh, game against uh, Paris Saint Germain. And um, just wanted to talk uh, just uh, just as we're coming to the end now, um, Stefan. Um, what what are your feelings about um, about that particular game? And um, I, I just received a listener question actually, so I'm going to fire it at um, Stefan while he's answering this question about <clears throat> certain people uh, believing that uh, Fernandinho should re- replace uh, Rodri. That's a controversial one. I'll just throw that together and and, and bring it to Stefan. Well, I mean uh, that 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 ship has sailed, so I, I don't. Rodri is now uh, very established in this team and, uh, uh, you know, Fernandinho will not be starting against PSG, I don't think. He might start yeah. tomorrow. I expect him to start tomorrow, but he won't be starting against PSG. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, sh- sh- and, and, you know, to be honest, I think it's probably not realistic for a player at 36, is he? Almost. You know, I mean, I don't think that's... That's not progression for uh, for, for the for the team. And, and to be honest, I think Rodri. Uh, I think he had a very poor start to the season, but I think he's he, he's improved uh, immensely. Uh, aside from a couple of errors, I mean, you know, he did. There's two notable uh, giving the ball away twice in in those um, in the in the Champions League uh, in in big moments. But aside from that, I think he's generally been. Uh, decent uh, this season after the start that he had, and but but as I say, I think it, it's a settled debate. He is, Rodri is the number one pick in central midfield, and uh, it's um, 
you know, it's not going to be Fernandinho. Um, just sticking with you, Stefan, for a second, you've seen the games against Bayern Munich. You've seen MPSG's progression through this um, particular uh, competition. Um, frightened? Uh, well, I wouldn't say frightened, but I, th- I do. At this stage, the games are a coin flip. Um, you know, I don't think uh, we should win the game, right? So we should win the games. We should win the tie. Uh, all things being equal, we should win. Now, mm-hmm. do we win? Well, I don't know. It's a there's very very fine lines, and they've got two of the best players in the world. I mean, as I've said earlier, I think Mbappe is the best striker. You know, Neymar is obviously a very talented player. He can possibly even Ferrati to come back. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Marquinhos probably plays as well. You know, I think a lot will depend as it happens. A lot will depend on who actually plays. Uh, I think their their squad below their first eleven is significantly worse than ours. Um, and so I think a lot of it will depend on what team plays. Uh, but if they're, if both squads are at full strength, I still think we should win the game. But I think it's going to be very, very fine lines. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing... I don't think there's anything we can do about that. You know, we just have to play as, as well as we can play. Hope we get the breaks. Um, they are not a great side. I mean, you know, you just have to look at the league table to tell you they're not a great side. But then they were impre- their intensity against Bayern Munich, uh, particularly in the second leg, uh, I thought was impressive. And um, it's a very tough game. Mm-hmm. Ray, how do you feel about um, prospects for this semi-final? Yeah, it's, uh, as Stefan has said, it's, it's going to be a tough game. Uh, I think we're slightly better than uh, PSG. Um, maybe a little bit better than slightly better, but... I, I, can, I'll see, I can see them scoring, but I think um, defensively, generally, we, we are better. I can't see them over the two legs scoring more than two goals. And it's entirely up to us if we can, you know, like against uh, Dortmund, if we can score more than two, I think we'll go through. Uh, but we're going to have to be uh, probably on the top of our game and we're going to have to rely on a little bit of luck here and there. Um, you know, Mbappe's uh, an exceptional talent. Um, we've seen that for a few years now. Neymar, when he's... Uh, when he stands up, um, he's another exceptional talent. So it's going to be tough. Um, but I would hope and I expect us to prevail. OK, um, Stefan, just moving into the final um, sort of 10 minutes or so of this uh, uh, pod, um, possibly even shorter. Um, big man for City, semi-final against Chelsea, League Cup final against Spurs. Uh, what are your feelings? How confident are you that we'll emerge with, you know, a few little pieces of silver dangling around our waist then? Um... Well, I, this, this, this might sound overly negative. I just, I think we should win every, all of these, right? So I'm not saying we should win the quadruple because it doesn't work that way. But in, in the individual games, so should we beat Chelsea tomorrow? Yes, we should beat Chelsea. Should we beat PSG over two legs? Yes, we should beat PSG over two legs. Should we beat Spurs in the final? Of course, but it doesn't work that way. I, I've got no idea, to be honest. I know we'll win the league, right? But we could easily not win anything else, easily. And it won't be, it it won't be because of, you know, oh, it's an incredible collapse or anything. It will just be life. We we are now at a point where the teams that we're playing against are all very, very good teams. Uh, Some of them have got some issues. I mean, Spurs, obviously, if you were to speak to a Spurs fan now, they would tell you they have no chance in that game. That's the way they feel right now. And they'll probably get beat tonight against Everton. 
right? Mm-hmm. So they, they will feel very, very low in confidence. But that doesn't mean that on the day, they can't, as a bunch of players even, even, even aside from the Mourinho issue that they've got there, it doesn't mean that on the day they can't raise themselves. We've seen it before with City, right? So we've seen some of these games that we should win and that for whatever reason we haven't. So I don't know what we're going to win. You know, I know we're going to win the league, right? And so we should at least be pleased about that. Um, and then we'll see what happens with everything else. It should be fun, you know. It should be yeah, uh, yeah. exciting <laughs> to see what, what, what we get, what we end up with. What do you think, Ray, uh, City tearing Cockneys apart again against these two teams? <laughs> Um, like Stefan said, you know we're, we've got the ability. Uh, we're better than the, the, those teams that we just mentioned. But you know, it's it's one of those we could we. I'm taking night for granted. You know, we could lose it all in the space of a couple of weeks. Um, and and it, it's just the way it is. You know, we, there's no we've got no God given right to win these games. We're gonna have to go out and, and and you know and deliver. I don't think we'll be playing our best teams. Uh, I don't think we'll play our. Uh, the same team that we played, that started against Dortmund tomorrow against Chelsea. I don't think the same team that started against Dortmund will play in um, the Carabao Cup final. Um, you know, with the PSG game of just three days away, so it, you know we're not going to be at a, a full strength. That weakens us a little bit. You know, how much um, how much weaker will we be? I have no idea. Will, will we still be strong enough to to win every game we've got in the next couple of weeks? Absolutely. Um, you know, but will we do it? I, I can't answer that. If I could answer that, I'd, I'd be winning winning the lottery every week. Okay, flip. Oh, just got a quick uh, Twitter question. Um, let me just see if I can uh, get this. Okay, yeah. So I think this is possibly a legal question. So we'll um, fire it. Uh, well, we'll fire it to Stefan first, and then uh, it's also financial as well. So we'll throw it over to Ray. Um, uh, Stefan, um, the Holland Erling Holland release clause for next season is apparently 65 million of your British pounds. And someone is asking, um, can that be inflated? Um, because, you know, obviously, when we buy a Spanish player, you you know that their release clause is fixed. You pay that and the player wants to come, then he gets signed. And uh, I think this, uh, this listener is a little bit uh, confused about the possibility of him remaining at Dortmund. Obviously, there's a bit of an auction going on, um, at least uh, nominally for him. But if he were, if he was not to leave uh, Dortmund and he stays another season, um, can someone just um, basically uh, fly in, pay the 65 million and get him? Or can um, Raiola and his representatives um, try to big up that amount? What do you reckon? Well, I, I think it only constitutes the payment for the registration to, to Dortmund. So he's not coming unless you do a deal on his personal terms, even if you've done a deal with Dortmund. So uh, you're not going to you're not going to acquire his registration without without acquiring his signature on the piece of paper. So um, the reality is all that's really happening in next. Well, the difference between this year and next year really is the slice of the pie that's going directly to the player and the agents versus the amount that's going to Dortmund. And um, the overall cost of the transaction is probably net-net the same. Um, and, uh, you know, City will know that. All that happens, though, is that it becomes an easy deal to execute on one side of it. Um, I think it's I think it's a very, very difficult deal to do um, either this season or next season. So uh, I think we've got a very good chance. Um, there's... You know, the, the money is so enormous 
that there's not many clubs that can afford him. Um, but I think he could easily stay, um, particularly if they get Champions League. And uh, if he moves... Not, are they? Huh? They're not going to get well, They're Champions probably League. not going to. They're probably not. But, you know, it could turn this... It could turn this weekend. I mean, you're not, you know, I don't think a 11 point lead for City is the same as a seven point lead for Eintracht Frankfurt. You know, seven points for a team like uh, Frankfurt could could disappear in a couple of weeks. Mm. Look, bottom line is, I agree with you. They're unlikely to get Champions League, right? Yes. The, then their decision is well, do we keep the player and say, well, if he gets his Champions League football next season, because he's at that level, what's that worth to us? And I would say it's worth, let's say, between 80 and 90 million euros. And I think you can effectively take half of that and say, well, the fee that they'll want this summer is the 75 release uh, plus, let's say, another 50 on top to make it worthwhile selling. So at least 125 million euros, probably 140 euros. And then, and then it's about what, what are his, what's his financial package? I think the chance of City paying you more than KDB's three eight five week is zero. So, yeah. so if any of the numbers are true that we're hearing about in the media, uh, the deal won't be happening with City. Um, so, I have to assume that the numbers are not true. Mm-hmm. Well, they can yeah. get around that. They can, you know, it, it it could be normally you know a three hundred eighty five or four hundred grand a week or five hundred grand a week, whatever. And they could just find another way to do it, you know. Ask, they, won't, ask me. they won't. They won't because KDB will not accept it. They're not going to give a base salary. I think the base salary will they won't be... Give them a package. They're not going to give him a package more. They've, they've just gone through a negotiation where a, a, ten, a player that stayed at the club for 10 years in KDB is a club, is clearly one of the top three players in the world, in our opinion, is... Uh, has done everything right for the club. is is twenty nine. There's no way they're going to pay a twenty year old who uh, more than they're paying the or the player with all of the credentials in KDB. I just do not believe it. I, 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 what I think they'll do is they'll find if they if they want Haaland, they'll find a way around it. It might be they um, have a huge bonus at the end of a contract, so at the end of every year, or a, a huge. Well, it's already a huge signing on bonus. I'll just increase that, uh, or find ways for sponsors, uh, you know, to he for him to be more involved with sponsors and and get deals that way. Um, but if they want him, they'll f- I'm sure they'll find a way if, if that's what it, if that's what it takes. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I just don't agree with that. I, I mean, yeah. you know, the bottom line is the the, the club has got a 350 million pound wage bill, and you've got you've just signed a contract with. Kitty, you know, one of the one of the greatest players that we've ever had. I just don't believe that you cut it any which way. I don't believe they're paying him more than KDB. Stephen, have you been impressed with uh, Holland over the the last couple of games? Uh, I think he's a well. F- first of all, he's up against Diaz, right? Who is uh, the number one centre half in the world at the moment? I mean, yep. you know, aside from Van Dijk's injury. Um, in in my opinion, you know, I think he should be player of the year easily. So so he's up against the best. I think he did well. I don't yeah, I don't think he was he clearly he was well handled, I think, by Diaz. And uh but you know, he did enough, I think. You know, you saw the the one on one. He's very unlucky not to score, incredible physicality to get there, uh, involved in the goal uh that they scored at the Etihad, and in go- and involved at the goal that they scored, you know, at, at home. So 
it's very hard to say that he didn't impress. Um, you know, and I think he's the best around that we can get because I don't think we can get Mbappe. But if you gave but me a choice, would he fit into Pep's system though, Stefan? No, I don't. You know what? You're not buying that. <laughs> I d- well, I don't. I don't really. I have to be honest. I. I I think he can, you know, he's young enough and he's good enough to be able to be integrated into the system, and and um, I, it doesn't it doesn't concern me. And and anyway, I mean Mbappe, who's the the obvious other uh, sort of you know megastar. Uh, I don't think he's ideal on paper for the system. He's a much more direct player than we're used to. Um, so I think they're both. Uh, you know, I don't believe the Harry Kane part of the story I just don't don't think the profile although he's yeah, a great he's... player I just don't believe that we'll sign a player of his age for that kind of money or that we'll be able to do the deal so uh, I, I sort of take that one off the table um look if we can do it if we can do the deal I think he's an amazing signing um you know I, I don't think put it this way I don't think I don't think his performances put me off or should put us off and I don't think they would um but we'll see I, I think it's going to be hard Ray, has he impressed you? Yeah, in that first, first game, uh, thoroughly impressed. The way, you know, he swatted uh, Diaz away. Nobody does that. I haven't seen anybody treat Diaz like that this season. Um, so, you know, from what, what he did there, he, he showed pretty much what he's got. He's got that pace, got physicality. Um, he just, I think, lost his balance when he was just ready to dink it uh, in the first leg. Second one, I don't think he... Uh, affected it as much, but then second half Dortmund were pretty ineffective. Um, with better players around him, I think he'll shine even more. I don't worry about his this not fitting in to the system. I've already said in, in you know, not next season, season after, I suspect we'll be changing our system again. You know, if you look at, and I'm not a tactician, I'm not uh, going to go and talk about systems in any depth. But if you look at what we did in this um, Centurion and Formidable season, we played a certain kind of way and it didn't work last season. We've changed again this season to this false nine, which has, which has worked. And I can see us playing a similar style next season, um, which makes me feel maybe Haaland comes the season after. Maybe we go out and buy another top-class attacking midfielder this season and, and then um, next summer get Haaland. Maybe that, that works for us. Okay, guys, well, I think that's uh, satiated the salivating appetites of the Bolt from the Blue fans. Thank you very, very much. You've been listening to uh, Stefan Borson. Stefan, thank you very much for coming on. Cheers. And thank you very much, Ray. Thank you so much, Mike. Yes, we'll be back with you very shortly. So thank you very much, guys. And uh, just as usual, have one on us and up the blues. Okay, thank you very much, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers, Lars. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry I, I missed you guys. I um. I went off for an hour to. Um... Oh, Colin! Oh, so 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 sorry. You could do a, you could do a bit more. Do a bit more with Colin. I, I do have to go, but it is a shame. But okay. Well, we'll 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 what? ask a few questions of Colin. Um, but um, thank you very much, Stefan, for coming All on. Right. No, you're too precious. See you later. Oh, yeah, take care, Stefan. Just tomorrow. Okay, uh, yeah. guys. Um, do you have time to talk a little bit more? How long? I've got five minutes. Uh, um, could we could we do maybe fifteen minutes? No, I, I can't do fifteen. I, I, honestly. Um, I'm okay for 15 minutes. Okay. I mean, so, you, um, you could actually do all the uh, addendum stuff with, with, with Colin if you want. Well, actually, yeah, right. So, if you pop off, I, I'm just going to keep on with um, Colin no for a while. All right. Okay. Um, so, Colin, thank you so much for coming. 
It's a pleasure. I say, slight mix up over the times, but uh, we got there in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And so, what? Uh, I'm so glad to have you on. Really, really uh, delighted that uh, you're able to make it. I know your time's precious. And um, we've had the two guys opine about um, uh, the game against uh, Leeds and the game against uh, Dortmund. But um, I would like to, if you don't mind, I'd just like to take you through a couple of the the points that uh, we were talking about to have your opinion. And so, the first thing I think we talked about, Colin, is. Um, uh, the game against uh, Leeds. Now, was it a masterstroke, we asked, um, for Pep to basically um, play a second fiddle uh, team? And uh, was that vindicated in the game against Dortmund? Well, I think he was justified in making some changes. I think he made too many, to be honest, because um, if we'd won that game, if we'd won the game against United, both games were winnable, uh, we'd have basically won the league by now. And then he could mess about, chop and change, put Zinchenko in midfield, put Edison up front, whatever he wants to do. So I, I think he took it. I understand he wanted to change three or four players, but I think he changed the fundamental um, makeup of the side a little bit too much for that game. And um, basically. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, Colin, um, obviously a big month for us. Um, semi-final against Chelsea and um, League Cup final against Spurs. Um, are we going to be tearing Cockneys apart again this month? <laughs> well, I hope so. Uh, uh, no, I heard Stefan say that you know you can only take each game as it comes. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, we'd fancy ourselves to beat Spurs, win our fourth League Cup, but you know it's a one-off game. Uh, you know, I, I always think back to the Wigan game in 2013. That's a game we should have walked and we didn't. So you can never tell with a one-off game. Obviously, with a two-leg game, you've got a chance to put things right in the second leg. But mm-hmm. Chelsea. It's probably the game I'm most worried about of all the ones we've got left, really. Um, t- Thomas Tuchel seems to have turned them round in the last few games. They seem to be very efficient. Some players are finding their uh, form, finally. You know, he's got them working as a unit, um, a hard-working team, and they give me a little bit of a worry, and particularly when we're going into that game, having played, of course, the game on um, Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Jude Bellingham is 17 years old, Colin? No, I mean, usually you expect the commentators <laughs> to give you these snippets, but no, no, no I didn't know. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't have known the price of any City players. I mean, again, <laughs> no one ever tells us that, do they? <laughs> yeah, Colin, were you surprised that um, Pep uh, picked uh, Zinchenko over Cancelo for, for the game against Dortmund? Uh, frankly, no, because I, I like the Walker and Zinchenko or Cancelo combination. Walker's a good old-fashioned fullback. There's not much end product from him, to be honest. And we saw that, I think, a few times on uh, Wednesday night. They had the ball in good positions and really didn't do anything particular with it. Um, so, but he's a good old-fashioned fullback, and you know, bar the odd lapse of concentration mistake, you can rely on him. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and he's got that pace. No one gets past him, and, he, and I think he'll play against PSG because that's. Pace is quite important. Cancelo has had a bit of an off few games for me. He's um, he's really not been quite at the level we've seen for for a lot of this season. Um, Sinchenko again is a, a natural midfield player. I thought he had a decent game against Leeds. I thought um, nothing terrible. So you know, if you want that third foot, if you want that sorry, um, if you want that extra midfield player, Sinchenko probably is the better option at the moment. Uh, uh, 
he had a very nervy start, 10, 15 minutes. I think about four or five times he managed to find um, a Dortmund player with a pass. Uh, although some, I'll give him that. But then afterwards he settled down and I, I thought he made a really important contribution in the second half. So, yeah, I think he's penciled in for the PSG game. Um, Colin, one thing that we talked about, um, uh, Stefan and uh, Ray and I, was also about uh, John Stones. Now, um, we wondered whether it's justifiable to have heart palpitations at the prospect of um, Kylian Mbappe and Neymar running at John Stones, given that um, some people said that he was at fault for games against England, Leeds and Dortmund. Is that unfair? Yes, I think it is. I think uh, him and Diaz have formed a great combination. But um, what's been good for us this season, why we've worked so well defensively, is we've been much more organised. And you know, everyone who listens to this podcast regularly will know that one of my great beefs about our defences has been the complete lack of organisation when we're on the back foot. And what we've seen this season is the defence has been so much more disciplined so much more organised. And, and we've rarely been caught out, of course, and looking at the games. Unfortunately, I mean, that Stones got caught out on one-on-ones. And, and I think when you're backpedalling against a big, fast, powerful forward like Haaland, um, you, you're at a disadvantage to start with. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like, you know, we, we've seen it. We've seen it with other centre-backs. You know, Vincent Kompany got caught out sometimes. And... Um, you know, you know it, it's a 50-50 thing. And the person I'd put a little bit more blame on for the goal than Stones was Rodri. Uh, I, I thought he had a very quiet game on Wednesday night, not really as bold as much as I expect him to be. But when, when the ball was played forward, Stones against Haaland, Haaland had control of the ball. He played the ball forward. The ball came back into the area around the penalty spot. And I thought Rodri was very slow, very weak to intercept that ball and put in a block. Uh, I thought he should have done a lot better. Uh, I've watched it a few times. That was my first impression uh, in real time. I've watched it a couple of times since. Uh, and I still stick by that, that he could have rescued the situation. But we're, when you're in one-on-one against a big, powerful forward uh, and you're going running back towards your own goal, I think the forward's always going to have the advantage. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Riyad Mahrez's nerves of steel performance then, Cole? Well, I actually thought um, the first half he really wasn't involved. Uh, but I don't think Foden was particularly involved either. I mean, the, the guys carrying the game for us were KDB and Gundogan. Uh, I say I thought we had a quiet game. I thought the, you know, the two wide guys, uh, Myros and Foden, had quite quietish games in that first half. I'm not saying they were poor. They just weren't. I just don't think they were involved as much as we'd have liked them to be. But... Mm-hmm. Um, You've got to say about Mahrez, he's got a pair of balls. Um, <laughs> he did. You know, he did perhaps job. they're bigger than John Stones's, even. <laughs> um, because he grew into that game in the second half. And again, he wasn't he wasn't what you call fully involved. But a player like him probably isn't going to be, I suspect. Um, he didn't have the ball as much as I would have liked. Um, I think that the partnership between him and Walker, which you kind of rely on. Uh, Bernardo was another one, I think. Who was very very quiet, uh, almost invisible <laughs> on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll just move on to something in a minute. I, I wanted to say, and I don't think anyone said on the part, but um, when he gets the ball, he's reliable. He's, we, we know his comp- his technique is absolutely top class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
That is true. That is true. And, and actually, there were a couple of balls in the first half that were flung at him, and one he actually managed to rescue. The other went out for a throw, which he had no hope on. But when he gets up, you know, perhaps one of the criticisms is he slows it down a bit, but I don't think he had much choice. But you know he's going to retain the ball, he's going to control the ball. Uh, and you compare that to Sterling in his current form. Uh, and and it's, you know, they're worlds apart, mm-hmm. despite the fact that Sterling twice as much, three times as much as Mara's. I don't know. Um, so so uh, he's coming into it. He's really getting into the system a bit. I, I, you know, you still look at him and think, is he the, really the right player? But w- one thing he can do, we know of, he picks up the ball on the edge of the air. Uh, but uh, I saw the penalty when the penalty was given the camera cut away and it looked like uh, Kevin De Bruyne was going to take it so the camera came back when the referee gave the penalty and Maris is stood there I think all <laughs> our hearts were in our mouths a little bit uh, I, 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 and I looked at his face you know there was a close up of his face uh, and the tension to me it all looked tense but fair play to him he put that penalty away with uh, greater plum and uh, I don't know what must have been going through his mind. I think it's only the second penalty he's taken for us and he missed the first one. But, yeah, that was a good penalty, goalkeeper. No chance. And it was such a crucial goal, Colin, wasn't it? Because it eliminated their away advantage and really gave us some some comfort uh, moving forward, didn't you think? Uh, well, it did because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because given our record of being behind at half-time, I... I when I watched it the first time, I wasn't impressed with the first half performance. When I watched it uh, in a more rational frame of mind, uh, we were a lot better. From, from Dortmund scoring, uh, we were well in control of that game, even if we didn't create a huge amount in the first half, although um, Kevin De Bruyne hit the bar, of course. But going in 1-0 uh, down, I, I was nervous. And I, I, I thought we're not going to score, particularly you know, when you see Kevin De Bruyne at the bar, when you see the goalkeeper... Uh, uh, picking off stuff and um, you know getting a foot in the way, they were getting blocks. Uh, uh, you do go do go in at half time one nil down with a doubt that we're going to score, and that that was my frame of mind. A bit pessimistic mm-hmm. maybe, because when he got that goal, um, there's still a bit of nervousness because of what happened with Leeds. You know, we came back into the game with Leeds, then we blew it, but it was an important goal because finally we got the goal, uh, and it put Dortmund on the back foot. They had to come out if they wanted to rescue that game, because they had to score, well, they either had to score twice or take us to penalties and, uh, and win that penalty shootout. So um, it, it was so important because I think it settled. I don't know. We didn't look nervous, but I, I just think it gave us that little bit of fire and determination. Absolutely. And um, one of the things that we, I'm just taking you through some of the things that we talked about um, on the earlier part of this pod, uh, Colin, and uh, we were talking, we were, we were just basically salivating at that strike from Phil Foden um, a little bit later on in the game. And uh, he's got form for this. It, it shouldn't be a surprise. He's got a very, very small backlift and wallop. And uh, we were, we, we were um, sort of mischievously discussing whether the goalkeeper was at fault for that. I think we sort of came to the conclusion that there was no one saving that, even though it was at the near post. Of course, um, we always criticise goalkeepers if they don't save at their near post. What did you think of that? Well, I thought it was a, a cracking goal. And I think, um, I, I don't know if you mentioned that um, the Dortmund manager made a bit of a faux pas because he made a change uh, uh-huh. for that corner. And the big no-no in football is making a substitution 
for a, a corner you're defending. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe the player he took, well, Dahoud he took off, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, maybe he was the one who would have picked up Foden. Maybe the player he brought on, I can't remember who it was, uh, didn't quite have his head around it. But it's always it's always reckoned to be an absolute no-no to, to substitute a player at a defensive corner. And he did that. And of course, Foden was completely unmarked. Um, one of my, my only, I think I've said this before, my only slight criticism of Foden has been that he hasn't been quite as clinical in front of goal as I would have liked him to be. But, you know, that uh, that's the only little thing you can say about him, really. But that was strike. You, you could say the goalkeeper should have got it at the near post, but it was a perfect height, you know, because it's um, the goalkeeper's done. He's got to get down low. He's diving. His hand's got to be near the ground. And that ball was about 18 inches high, maybe a bit higher when it went in. And, and the goalkeeper would have had to be very lucky to get that. I, I, I totally agree. And um, one one thing that's been quite funny about this particular pod is as we were chatting, we got blipped with listener questions. And um, uh, one of them uh, came on in the middle of it and said, how's Sterling going to get in this team now? And uh, I think I should <laughs> ask you that, uh, Colin. What do you reckon? Well, I got a bit of a pasting on Blue Moon from one or two posters <laughs> for, for for my views on Sterling. Now, I like the lad. You know, he's a very engaging, he's very intelligent, he's very articulate. He stood in the forefront, the vanguard of the fight against racism. But the simple truth is, since, well, I don't know, the middle of last season, he hasn't been playing well. Now, yeah. we, we knew, we always knew he had weaknesses in his game. He wasn't a perfect technical player. But he made up for that by being in the right place at the right time. He's great his determination. And he got uh, his movement, you know, and he got on the end of those six-yard box ones. He created those six-yard box ones. But he's got the yips. There's no doubt about it. He's got the yips. And um, when you're a player who doesn't really, you know, who, who's, I was going to say doesn't rely on technique, but I think we all agree his technique is not his strongest point. And a player... Uh, no, they always say the way back to form is just do the simple things. You know, uh, pass, take the ball, pass the ball, take the ball. You know, uh, uh, but he he's not doing that. You know, I think he's trying to be too ambitious. And uh, I was also criticised for saying, well, he's the second highest paid player. And someone said, what difference does that make? Well, you're talking about value for money, uh, and he's not in a good run of form at the moment. And it's more than a run of form. You know, we've seen. We saw KDB had a few a few bad games. You know, we always know it takes Aguero six games to come back after injury. So I don't think we're going to see Aguero properly um, this season. Maybe um, yeah. uh, you know, Bernardo went through that run of form, came back, uh, but I think again, last few games not quite been at the races. Um, Cancelo, you know, bad run of form, but but still, this has gone on all season, uh, and his figures are down to what they were in the first season under. Pellegrini, when Pellegrini didn't have a clue what to do with him. Now, Pep came in uh, and Pep revitalised him and it was absolutely sensational. But, you know, Pep made it clear, and I think it was Sterling he was talking about, that you've got to... The players who do it for him are going to get into the team. Uh, And he's shown that, hasn't he, by um, dropping Sterling. You know, I knew Sterling was not going to start on Wednesday night. He'll probably start against Chelsea. Uh, the other thing for me is when Sterling do, does start again, like um, you know, I think again it was a little stinker against Leeds. He gets ninety minutes. I, I don't understand that. 
But maybe Pep wants to give him, you know, doesn't want to upset his confidence any more than necessary. You know, we don't know what's going on. He must be aware of the problem. Pep's certainly aware of the problem. We don't know what's going on. Um, uh, hopefully we can sort it out. But for me, uh, I was accused of being a racist, actually, because uh, <laughs> I was pointing out that Sterling is not giving us value for money at the moment. Uh, someone said there was a very dark tone to my post. But I'm only looking at him as a footballer. I will criticise yeah. anyone, whatever the colour of their skin, from the deathly pale Zinchenko to, you know, to Sterling. Uh, but I'll do that on a football basis. Yeah, it's very, very difficult to, to express yeah, any kind of opinion but, at, at the moment, Colin, without being accused of something. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I think for me, what the significance of the uh, the 300k a week is for me is, uh, and th there's a wider context because, of course, he's only got, he'll only have two years left on his extended contract um, at, at the end of the season. So normally we'd be looking to tie him down to another extension. He's only 25, what, 25? 26, mm -hmm. nearly comes to 26. 26, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we've got a good five years left in him. And if he'd been playing the way he'd been playing 2017, 18, 18, 19, you, you, you'd throw that contract at him. You know, you, you'd, there'd be no hesitation. But at the moment, there's got to be people saying, um, uh, uh, one of our fellow podcast hosts, it was particularly who upset me and annoyed me, he said he's going to get a new contract. Well, I'm not so sure. Or he's not going to get a big new contract. I, I don't think he is. I don't know. I, I don't know what's the money, is he? But no, but you know, he's not going to get parity with KDB. Not at the moment. Unless mm. he comes back in the last part of the season and we see the Raheem Sterling of all. I, I, I just think it, it's gone too far. And but you know, the, there's um, a financial that the, the accountants may have as much of a say in it as the football people, because you know, we bought him for forty four million. He's probably earned about half the add-ons, two and a half million. So uh, the way he's extended his contract, he, he's probably on the books about seven, eight million in, mm -hmm. in the balance sheet. Now, mm -hmm. the way the finances work is, you know, you, you his contract, you um, amortise it over the length of the contract. And if he extends, you amortise what's left over the extended length. So I think he's down to about seven, eight million on the books at the moment. Um, if we could get 80 million for him, we're showing a 70 million profit. Mm -hmm. and, and and because of the because of the finances and every every I, I think we'll have a lot of cash. I've been thinking about this since you asked me the question on the last part. I think we could have, depending on how we actually do finish off in the Champions League, we could have something close to two hundred million pound cash coming. Uh, you know, free free cash. That's not a big lump sum, but that's everything we're going to get for this season. Plus, what we didn't get, what was deferred from last season. When you look, if you look at the cash flow statement, it won't all come in at once, but we'll have generated potentially up to 200 million cash. So we will have money to spend. The question is the wage bill, because uh, the wage bill, obviously, we know shot up. I, I, I think my guess is that was to do with image rights, because, of course, when De Spiegel published their stories, one of the things they highlighted was that we were paying image rights through a third party company called Fordham Image Rights. Uh, and this was entirely separate from City, run by two guys who've got connections to Abu Dhabi. Um, and, and that was some money, not quite sure how much, some money off the wage bill. And um, UEFA obviously uh, can decide what we have to report as part of FFP. And I think they possibly said to us, 
Sorry, that's got to be in, in what they call the reporting perimeter. In other words, you've got to include that company's results along with your own because it's for expenditure. So I, th I, my guess is, and it's only a guess, that we brought that image rights money in-house, which is why the wage bill went up inexplicably. Um, so that wage bill having gone up, you don't want to put it up any more than necessary. And you look at Sterling's 15 million a year, whatever it is, and you think, and you look at that potential 75, 80 million profit you can put on the bottom line if you sell him, and you think we could play two players, 150k a week. And 150k a week would probably be enough to get, say, Harry Kane and Jack Grealish, or, you know, whatever. So um, even leaving Haaland out for that. So you think, you know, are the accountants going to play a part in, in, in that? And the other consideration is, I remember when he, um, the season before he signed for us, when he made it clear he wanted to get away from Liverpool. Again, he had a very underwhelming season compared to his breakthrough season, the season before, when he had excited so many, attracted so much interest. And I do wonder if the problem is his head isn't somewhere else now, maybe, um, you know, a, a thousand miles south in Madrid. I, mm -hmm. I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen this summer. Everything's up in the air. Um, I, you know, I may be doing him a disservice. Uh, maybe he'll be back with us next season, like the Raheem Sterling we, we know and love. But it could be he's decided he needs a change of scenery. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and if so, that would be great for our bottom line, to be honest. And uh, good luck to him. Uh, he looks like he needs a change of scenery to me, uh, mm -hmm. a new challenge maybe. You know, he's been with us now for... Was it six? Uh, six years, isn't it? Six, six years. You know, mm -hmm. we we hold on to our players. He's at the peak. Of, he should be at the peak of his career. <laughs> who who knows what's going to happen? But I say my view is um, he's not a first choice at the moment. Mares and Foden are that choice. Um, and if he does want to go, um, then then all all the best to him. But it's very I say it's very nice for our finances, and, uh, and, that, and that could play a large part in our summer dealings. Uh, Colin, we also got blipped just towards the end by another question, which I thought was quite interesting. And that is that um, uh, there are reports in various places that um, Erling Holland will uh, possibly stay with Dortmund, um, even though um, it's unlikely that they're going to get into the Champions League next season. I was quite interested in this because um, apparently he's got a release clause of £65 million. Uh, pounds whatever that is in euros and um, it seems to me a little bit strange because if that works the same way that it does in Spain then someone will be able to helicopter in um, at the end of next season and pay that money and get the player when he's currently being described in terms of 120 150 million euros um, and someone asked um, uh, does it work like that um, in Germany, the same way it does in Spain, where you know that's the price that you're going to pay. And they ask, can that be inflated? And can there still be a bidding war if he stays at Dortmund until next uh, season? The simple answer is, I don't know. Uh, in Spain, it's a legally binding contract. Uh, anywhere else, as far as I'm aware, it's not. Um, so potentially, yeah, it could be inflated. I, I, but I don't know. I, I, I've never really come across release causes in um, the Bundesliga, but I'm not an expert on that thing, uh, on that side of things, so I don't know. Could it be inflated? Possibly. The danger, of course, of the £65 million, um coming into play next year, whatever its legal status, is because so many other clubs could probably afford it. 
Yeah. I, 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 and the problem is, I, I don't necessarily believe everything I read in the papers because uh, someone made a very good point. Uh, you know, there was a very blatant attempt um, at misinformation where, where um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said, uh, oh, Molde, his knees were giving him problems when he was a youngster. <laughs> you know, I, I, and you've got to take all the stuff that appears in the papers with a huge, huge pinch of salt. And that's being generous because a lot of the stuff that these journalists get is from agents, it's from managers, it's from clubs, PR teams, and they're all trying to do one over on it, get one over on each other. Uh, of course, you know, the, the problem is it's all too believable when Mino Raiola is the agent. Uh, but, you know, a lot of it maybe is agent, a lot of it is the agents themselves trying to talk up their clients. Um, a, a lot, of, uh, some of it is mischief. So, uh, you know, we've, the 65 million might make it difficult. Uh, and, you know, there might be more of signing on fees or stuff like that. I don't know. If we could get them this summer, uh, and I'm, I'm more convinced the more I think about it, that we could afford it. We, we've obviously got the Jaden Sancho sell-on clause we could negotiate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's potentially other things we could do. But, but it, you know, it's the one glaring um, missing link in the squad, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I think we've got to do it. And we know Aguero's going, so I think we've got to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but we won't we won't break the KDB wage barrier to do it. That, that's yeah, I, I think everyone's uh, pretty much agreed on that. Um, uh, just finishing off, Colin, um, uh, I'm gonna um, just stitch everything together and make this uh, one pause. I don't want to make it uh, too long or too much of a, a a burden for for listeners, but we we can't let you go without. Um, asking you about what you think our prospects are uh, for the FA Cup semi-final against Chelsea and also the League uh, Cup final against Spurs. Well, I'd say every game's a one-off. Uh, Chelsea worry me more than Spurs. I think um, Chelsea even worry me a little bit more than PSG. Mm-hmm. Um, really? OK. In some ways, because I, th- I think we've got the beating of Spurs, just despite what they did to us at the beginning of the season. But if we get past Chelsea... Chances are, well, we should win the FA Cup. Uh, chances yeah. are, we should win the league. Even, even more chance that we'll win the league. So, you know, a second domestic um, in in our sights. Uh, and 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 to win the quadruple, we've got to win the treble. So, but the Chelsea game does does worry me a little, say, because Tuchel, Thomas Tuchel's got them playing quite well uh, after a bit of a an iffy start. Um, mm-hmm. PSG is two legs. Yeah, we can do it. We've done it before against them. Um, we're better defensively now, should be, but of course, um, Mbappe and Neymar and um, you know uh, would cause any defence a problem. Um, I, I just hope Pep doesn't overthink it again. But we've got this second leg at home, um, so yeah, um, just take it one game at a time. But um, if we get through tomorrow, then I'll be a mighty relieved man because I think the treble is then very much on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously, um, a lot of our fans love the way that we um, give it out to uh, certain other uh, teams. One of the things that we discussed, I'll just finish off on this point, Colin. One of the things that we we talked about a little bit earlier was that um, we are being accused of clutching our pearls again um, by commenting on the fact that Liverpool smashed up the Real Madrid bus and again claimed it was a few individuals and that the, uh, the Merseyside police are on the case. They've actually even employed um, a special investigator. <laughs> uh, what do you reckon about all of this? Well, if it's Stevie Wonder again, I don't put much hope in it. 
um, you know, it, it's stupid, isn't it? They've done it once. It was publicly announced they were going to meet the Real Madrid coach. And you might think someone with some intelligence, which seems to exclude pretty well all of Merseyside police, might have thought, hmm, we'd better be careful here. But they let 400 fans gather, probably illegally. Um, and again, they stood by, well, um, if they're going to make a rest, they should have made him at the scene. Um, maybe they didn't want to cause a riot or whatever, but they could have handled that so much better. They could have cordoned off the road. They could have moved people on. They could have issued a dispersal order. And it's happened twice now. Um, you know, and again, it was only, it was only an outer window was smashed. Um, but, you know, what if a brick had gone through the second window or whatever, or a flare had gone through? Uh, and I think um, almost, uh, you don't want to be over hysterical, but it'd be nice if UEFA said, right, you know, the next time you're in the Champions League, the group stages, you're not playing your home legs at Anfield. But, you know, it's um, they'll find any excuse. You know, if it was City fans, I think we'd say, you know, they're scum. You know, they might be City fans. They don't really represent City fans. No, but football fans are football fans. But having done it once in a much publicised, you know, I, I would hope UEFA would be asking questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can, can I say a couple of other things before we... Absolutely, before we, absolutely. Um, let's, let's have a few extras. Uh, well, um, one thing I wanted to say about the performance on... Wednesday night, was that, you know, I went through a list of players and thought, who had a great game? Well, KDB and Gundogan had a great game. Foden and Mahrez had good games. Uh, I think Kyle Walker had a decent game. Sinchenko had a good game. Um, Stones and Diaz were relatively solid. Bernardo and Rodri weren't great. And, and what I was going to say was, what the great thing for me is, a few seasons ago, if, if players like David Silva, Yaya Torre, Sergio Aguero, Bruyne, if they weren't in the side, we'd be panicking. And now we actually, we've got to that point where we've almost kind of metamorphosized into a team that is so efficient that it doesn't depend on individuals. Obviously, if everyone has a bad game, we're probably you know going to get beat. But you don't need, you don't even need seven players to have great games for us to win. And I think that the two who had great games on Wednesday night particularly stood out were, were again, KDB and Gundogan. Um, but one or two were a little bit below par, I thought. And, but the great thing is, we're in a Champions League quarterfinal. We've gone behind. And as a team now, we're, we're, we've almost become ruthlessly efficient, regardless of the individuals. And I always say, Alex Ferguson's great talent as a manager was to make the sum greater than the, the whole greater than the sum of the parts. And we saw that with that 2013 title win. And I think Pep's got us to the same place now. The other thing is... An old and dear friend of ours is um, has been nominated to occupy a position on the UA for Executive Committee, and it's none other than uh, Senor Javier Tebet, oh, uh, President oh. of La Liga. I don't know if anyone picked this up, or you picked, talked about this in the pod, but apparently he's been nominated by a group called the European Leagues Association, which is different from the European Club Association. So it's all the, the heads of the, the various leagues, so... Richard Masters for the Premier League and, and, and Tebas for the uh, La Liga. So they've nomin- they have a guaranteed seat. They've nominated him to the UEFA Executive Committee. Now, this certainly um, gave us some, uh, some chortles as City fans. However, the, the one problem is he's got to get um, – his nomination has got to be voted through. And two of the guys on the committee, uh, one is the head of the Spanish FA. Now, if possible – Tebas hates him more than he hates us and PSG. 
course, uh, Nasser Al-Khalifi is on the executive committee as well. Uh, and um, Tebas has had one or two trenchant observations on PSG. So I think that's next week, that, that nomination. But um, uh, wow. so, so it, it, it doesn't sound like good news on the surface for us. But, one of the, but the only thing in, in his favour is that um, he's very against European... So, so, so that may help. But uh, of course, we know we know about his past, his darker past. Uh, supporter of the Vox Party, which is a far right party, you know, he he doesn't have much time for anti racism, to put it mildly. So when you, UEFA say there's no re- room for racism in UEFA, they're going to make an exception for him on the executive committee. Okay. Um, was there uh, another point, um, Colin? That no, no, you... that was it. That was that, it. That was, that was pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that is fantastic. Well, listen, thank you very much for coming on, uh, Colin. Well, nice to come on as a substitute now and again and, you know, make a, make a tele-contribution. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And, guys, you've been listening to Colin Savage, who came on um, uh, just after the other two guys. Um, we're going to edit this up and make it seem seamless. But I hope you've enjoyed it, guys. And uh, we really got a few things off our chest. And uh, for the second time... In this pod, I'll just say, <laughs> as I always do, uh, thank you very much for listening, guys. Um, have one on us in this, uh, in these times. Uh, hopefully outside, obviously, and um, <laughs> up the blues. <laughs>